Taylor Decker's on my All-22 fantasy team. Stop. They don't care. So the strategic component to this game is through the roof. Your predictions, right, your forecasting in fantasy football into how good is this player? This is going to, it's going to change the industry. Yeah. yeah. I moved to the old town where it goes down. Look at me now. I wrote my goals down. I hold it down. Made myself proud. What's up, everybody? Welcome into another All-22 podcast. You got Chris and Ray again. And Ray, it is a holiday weekend. I'm going to say Christmas weekend because I celebrate Christmas. But if you don't, happy holidays to everybody out there. I hope you are stuffing your face with some awesome food. I hope you got your your family some cool gifts. And I hope you're getting a little extra sleep because I know I'm going to try to. I have a child's birthday party tomorrow. So I'm not even... So Christmas isn't even like on the radar yet. Like, you know, it's one of those things where I understand how anybody with a December birthday is like, oh, you know, everybody forgets about me because it's all about, you know, Christmas and everything. Like, totally get it. And like, I vowed to not do that for my child. And because of that, this is the most like stressful week of all time. You know, <laughs> trying to cram a birthday party followed by Christmas Eve and Christmas and then New Year's next week is it's absurd, man. But it's brutal. Yeah, I'm not so, gonna be able to make it. But uh, what are you having catered, or are you cooking? Oh no, we got we got some both actually both because you can't tell an Italian family on the other side that oh yeah no you don't cook anything that's just not gonna work out well. So we got a nice mix. Got a nice mix of uh, of catered food, some um, some cutlets, you know, some home cooked Italian food, and uh, yeah, it's gonna be a good time. Yeah, sorry to miss it. I and there will really... be football on. Most importantly, there will be football on. So yeah, of course there will be. Uh, and yeah, I'm sorry game. to miss it but I got a nice gift for Michael sitting here. So excited to get that over to you. But today we have something very different yet the same as what we've been doing. So we've been kind of going through the different teams at the top of the draft and discussing how we as the GM would make changes. What we've also been doing is reviewing some of the top quarterbacks in this year's draft, right? Talking about the things we like, we don't like, et cetera. We're going to be doing a little bit of both today because there's a tie currently between the Atlanta Falcons and Jaden Daniels that I think is important to talk about. And on top of that, the reason why it's so relevant, even though the Falcons aren't, you know, the next up, right, in terms of like the worst teams in the NFL, it's because there's a lot of heat right now on head coach Arthur Smith that I want us to talk about and kind of uh, before it happens, let's say what we would do, right? How would we do it different? So let's start there as GMs of the Atlanta Falcons, right? We got the job. We got the job. We're new GMs in Atlanta. And the first thing we need to do is kind of talk about the coach and just kind of like a headliners on Arthur Smith, right? He's been there for three years. And in those three years, he's had three different starting quarterbacks in Matt Ryan, Marcus Mariota, and Desmond Ritter to start his seasons. He is 20 and 28, and it almost aligns perfectly to having seven and 10 seasons each of those years, which is kind of weird. Uh, been bottom of the half in the league in offensive scoring. Uh, so bottom of the half of the league offensive scoring. And this is the first year where he does not have a bottom half defensive group. Uh, has experience coaching O-line and tight ends before becoming head coach. And I will say, right, this is one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. And it's kind of been consistent throughout his tenure there. So he obviously is doing something right there. Uh, but I think that there needs to be some discussion as to, you know, where does all of the blame lie? Does it all lie on Arthur Smith or is there some that should lie on the previous GM, not us, of course, but on the previous GM where they're saying, you know, I'm going to go get these, these blue chip players at positions that are less valuable, right? Kyle Pitts at tight end, Bijan Robinson at running back. And um, that's what I'm going to do for you. Even if that's not really uh, players that match what you're trying to do in your system, right? Arthur Smith clearly isn't using those players as normal teams would with blue chip players like those, right? Um, and obviously the fans are getting frustrated with that, but does it say more about Arthur Smith as a coach being maybe a one trick pony, not being able to adjust his style to the talent on his team or to the GM for going and getting, you know, less valuable players, even though they're blue chip and kind of just forcing them on the head coach. So I do want to talk about that. And then I want to hear what you would do, Ray, as GM, what are you doing with Arthur Smith? Yeah, it's it's always going to be hard to separate exactly, you know, how much how much blame is allocated or should be allocated to this person versus this person, right? Whether it's the GM, the former GM, or the current head coach. Uh, but there are some clues that kind of lend you down the road as to whether or not the current 
head coach in place can fix it? Or are there inherent flaws that simply will not be resolved and would cause you to move on? And I think the the chief sort of point of frustration for Falcons fans and when you watch this Falcons team, yes, they don't have a franchise quarterback. They drafted someone like Kyle Pitts uh, in 2021. And okay, fine. Say you weren't sold on Justin Fields or Mac Jones. You know, kind of looking back at it now, it's like, okay, I, I can totally understand that. Um, so not having a franchise quarterback aside, right? If you're an offensive head coach, and yes, you mentioned some history with the offensive line and they have a good offensive line, but Arthur Smith was also a tight ends coach for three years uh, with the Titans. And he drafted a tight end in the top five and then they don't feature him. They decide to just use him as like this decoy, and it's it's just it's it's mind boggling. And this is nothing that Falcons fans haven't heard before, I'm sure by now. Um, but if you if you really look at the data, right? Because sometimes you watch the games and you feel a certain way as to how they're going, but sometimes that feeling isn't always backed up by data, right? Sometimes emotions are in the way, you know, whatever. If you just look at straight targets. Right now, the highest target getter for the Atlanta Falcons is Drake London, wide receiver Drake London, first round pick. Okay, great. 39th in the league uh, when it comes to targets. So your number one wide receiver is only 39th in the league when it comes to targets below uh, names like Evan and Joku, uh, excuse me, Evan Engram and David and Joku. Uh, I mean, below, okay, Adam Thielen gets force-fed the ball, so I guess you can kind of see it that way. But same thing, hey, force-feed the ball to your top guy. How There's no way to justify someone like Evan Ingram or David Njoku having more targets than your number one target getter or your number one wide receiver in Drake London. That's that's just inexcusable. He's also below guys like uh, Elijah Moore, uh, Zay Flowers, Jordan Addison, guys who are not number one uh, targets in their on their current teams, right? He's below both DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. So, I mean, that's just, you're not getting the ball to your playmakers. It's one thing if you're targeting your playmakers, but, you know, the, the quarterback situation there is just not good enough and they're not effective targets, but you're not even featuring your top targets to give yourself the best chance to win games. You're trying to always stay a step ahead and be this sort of contrarian by using these guys as, as just complete decoys, I guess. And like, Oh, they'll never see it coming when we, you know, throw uh, an over route to our backup tight end in the end zone. And like, okay, yeah, that might work every now and again, but you're not giving yourself the best chance to win. And I think that is where you look at this and go, sure, we don't have the franchise quarterback. So he is at a bit of a disadvantage and it may be an unfair disadvantage if you want to call it that, but he is still not holding up his end of the bargain as head coach. And so if you're going to go ahead and look at a quarterback of the future in the coming off season, I think it's time you you basically say, okay, fine, let's bring a new voice in here who you know has his own style for doing things, who will feature the talent that we do have in place because there is talent on the offensive side of the ball on this team. Feature those guys, and then we'll get the quarterback that kind of fits into the system and move into the future that way. So um, while it's you know it hasn't been a, a great situation for him overall, I think it is time to move on from Arthur Smith. Uh, and I know Falcons fans have already been going back and forth on this for weeks, but I'm, I'm in the camp where I think the time is right to move on. Okay. I'm in agreement with that. And I, I, I like what you brought up. I would even argue that Drake London shouldn't be the number one target there because I believe that Kyle Pitts is an extremely, extremely talented player that if he was implemented into the system correctly, would be the number one target on a lot of teams, right? So I have that issue with Arthur Smith. I do think it's time to make a change. I think if you have a coach that cannot uh, win with what you're giving him and you're giving him blue chip players, that's a problem, right? And and you look at this offense, which is a run first offense and has been, right? You give him the top running back that we've seen in a few years, at least, and he's still not able to do anything with that, right? And you look at what Bijan did last week. He had I think 11 rushes for like negative one yards and a fumble or something ridiculous, right? I totally botched that, but it is something ridiculous. Uh, and it's just, that's 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 a non-starter for me, right? That can't happen uh, with that kind of talent. So it's time to move on. Uh, you know, you talked about 
the, you know, Drake London getting the targets. And I think that there is an issue with receiving depth on this team, right? Like the, the, the style of receiver that they have is one type of receiver, right? You have Drake London, you have Kyle Pitts, you have Mac Hollins, you, you have these big bodied dudes and, you know, that kind of lends to, you know, uh, getting jammed up and not being able to separate, not being able to get downfield quickly, not opening up quickly. And, you know, this is a league that we're currently in where, route running is the most important thing that you can look for in a receiver, right? And it's just, that's not the number one thing that these this team has. So I think that when you look at this team and you're starting to look at what, uh, you know, you don't like about it, to me, that's a ver- that's very high up on the list is you need diversity in your receiving core. I like that you have a number one receiver. I like that you have a number one tight end. You need some route runners out there. You need some speed. You need to change it up. Uh, and, I, you know, I think that's that's hurting this team. But what else do I not like? You mentioned the quarterback, right? We think that they do need a change of quarterback. And I'll say, I was a I was a big fan of Ritter. I was a big fan in Ritter in that I thought he can be what Joshua Dobbs currently is. And that is like a replacement level starter, spot starter when you need him to be. And that he would be very good at that. You can't just throw him in after six games in his rookie year and expect this guy to take off, right? He's 52.1 passing grade, 27th out of 28 eligible quarterbacks this year. 49.7 run grade is 25th of 28 and he's the eighth most rushing quarterback in the NFL. So like there's something that's just not working, right? And with the with the talent that we talked about that's on this team with the offensive line that they have, this offense should be crushing it, right? And they've again they're bottom half of the league in performance. So that's that's a big issue on the offensive side of the ball. But we talked about things we do like, right? The offensive line from left to right Jake Matthews, Matthew Bergeron, Drew Dahlman, Chris Lindstrom, Caleb McGarry. It's stacked, right? Like there is not a weak link on that offensive line. It's it's well aged, you know, like you're the ageist of the uh, the two of us, right? Like most of those guys are under 26 years old. I like all of that, right? Yes, Jake Matthews is getting up there at 31, but he's he's proven that he can stay healthy. Not Not an issue right now. And then the blue chip players, right? They have Kyle Pitts, who's 23 years old. They have B. John Robinson, he's 21. And then to a lesser extent, because I don't think he's blue chip, but a very good player in Drake London, 22 years old. That is that is an offense that I think you plug a lot of quarterbacks and a lot of like average head coaches into. And it's like a very good offense, right? It's like a top of the league offense. So again, maybe you want to add some receiving uh, diversity to that room. You need that quarterback. You need to switch the quarterback. And then I don't think there's really any excuse for this offensive system to work. Uh, you know, defensive free agent signings, I think they did a great job there this offseason, but it isn't a young group. I love the Jesse Bates signing, 26 years old. He's the number one PFF graded safety, 90.4. He's got five interceptions. But, you know, you look at some of the other guys, right? And uh, Kalijah Kal- uh, Campbell, David Onyemata, Grady Jarrett, like they're all over 30 years old. That defensive interior group's getting old. The pass rushers, Lorenzo Carter has been very disappointing. Bud Dupree has been very disappointing. I like Arnold Ebiketti, uh, but he's really more of a rotational edge. He's not this stud edge that's going to go in there and play well every day. So again, just kind of going through those strengths and weaknesses, you love the offensive line. You love the blue chip players on that offense. Uh, you love the defensive free agent signings, but you need a quarterback. You need diversity in the receiving group. You need better edge play and you need to get younger on the defensive line. So that's kind of where I'm moving. Ray, before I jump into free agency, is there anything you wanted to add to kind of what you like, don't like? Yeah, I think you nailed it. I mean, when you consider the fact that you need a quarterback, there's not many realistic situations for any first round pick at quarterback that are better than this one, right? If you look at it just at a high level, you have a solid or very better than solid and young offensive line with a number one receiver and a number one tight end or and one of the, I mean, the most talented tight end in the draft in years, right? Whether he's lived up to that or not, because I mean, right now he's freaking like 60th in the league and has less targets than Jonathan Mingo and Cole Komet and Tyler Boyd. What are we doing, Arthur Smith? I mean, if maybe if you gave him some more targets, he would actually live up to that uh, billing, right? But in any event, you have the talented wide receiver, you have the talented tight end, you have the solid offensive line, and you have a great dynamic running back behind him. Sure, you need to round out the receiving core with maybe a, another slot and then someone uh, to r- sort of be your, you know, your second wide receiver, your Z receiver, whatever the case may be. But by and large, if that's all you got to do around 
a quarterback that you're drafting, you are way ahead of the game compared to 99% of teams in the NFL when they are in position to draft a franchise quarterback. So it, it really is one of those deals where there's not a lot of maintenance to be done on the offensive side of the ball once you bring in your quarterback, which is exactly what you want. All right, cool. So going into the free agencies of the players on the Falcons currently, guys that are going to hit free agency, uh, let's talk about who you would tag, who you would sign, who you would move on from, right? So Mac Hollins first up. I talked about how I think that they need some diversity there, right? The big bodied receiver thing is great, but you have enough of that with Kyle Pitts and Drake London. I think Mac Hollins has proven to be a good player there, right? I think he deserves a contract with another team. I don't think it's this team for me. I'm moving on. What are you doing? Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I mean, he's, he's already 30 years old. Uh, I don't want to tie up another contract in a player like that when I have young guys that I want to feature more. So if I want to feature my top guys more, I'm not going to give money to their surrounding, you know, the surrounding, you know, supporting cast, if you will, and tie up resources there. So yeah, 100%. Okay. Van Jefferson, who I like that they traded for, right? That's a guy that adds that diversity. He's a route runner. He's smaller. He's shiftier. He does all those things well, but he hasn't produced at a high enough level for me where I'm saying this is the guy that's going to make the difference there. I think if you could bring him back on like league minimum, great. But if he's going to try to get like $2 million, $2.5 million, to me, it's not worth it. I'm moving on there. Yeah. League minimum guy. If he doesn't take it, I'm not losing sleep over it. Okay, Matt Hennessy, center, was a very high performer when healthy, hasn't been healthy the past two years. As I said, been replaced by Drew Dahlman, who is playing extremely well. So I think just because of the injury history, and I think that there will be a lot of demand in free agency for a guy like Hennessy because there are so many teams that have needs at center that I think the salary would get too high for me. So, you know, I can't bring him in as a backup. I'm moving on. Yep. Enjoy the compensatory pick that you get from him. Your interior with Bergeron, Lindstrom, and Dahlman is is perfectly fine. It's better than fine. Um, yeah. So let him move on. Let him get paid. Enjoy the comp pick that you'll get in a year. And we're all winners for it. Okay. Kalias Campbell uh, has been extremely good for a very long time and just continues to go out there and be a productive player. I think for him, you know, these one-year deals might be perfect, right? He's going to get $7 million a year just to play and see how he does. And if it doesn't work out, right, like it's one year, it's not that big of a deal. And I talked about how you don't really have that much depth there. It's an aging defensive interior group. I do want to add other ways, but I think if he's willing to take another one-year $7 million deal, absolutely, I'm going to do it. I'm going to sign up for that. So I'm bringing him back on a one-year deal. I'm going to see what's out there and see if I could swing big in free agency for a defensive lineman first, only because you're asking me to sign what's going to be a 38-year-old <laughs> player, and you know me. So that is not going to be my first choice at all, ever. But um, but yeah, I mean, if he were to come back, a one-year deal is what makes sense, which at this stage of his career, like you said, that's what you want. That's what, that's, you know, that's, that's what he's going to garner. So either way, it's one of those I can go either way, but I think I, I take a big swing first in free agency before I go ahead and say I'm bringing back uh, Clayus Campbell for sure. Right. Okay. Perfect. And the other two guys are guys that, you know, I like what they did, right? Bud Dupree, Jeff Akuda. They went and got these guys that are highly talented guys that have underperformed, took a chance. And I don't think either of them really worked out. So I'm moving on in both situations, but I commend them for taking that shot. The previous GM, Props to you. You did a good job doing that, but I'm moving on from these guys. What about you? Yeah, whatever. They, yeah, sure. Great. Okay. Free agency, right? <laughs> now we're going to real free agency. Uh, the Falcons currently have 50 million projected in cap space. I brought back Kalijah Campbell, so I'm down about 7 million. So I got about 43. But Ray, the, the conversation kind of throughout the past year has been do they go and make a move for Kirk Cousins, right? Like that's kind of been what people have been throwing around. I think, you know, there's an argument to be made for it, right? He's a veteran that gets the most out of good players. You know, you talk about like being a fantasy owner, right? And you got to love the production you've gotten from Justin Jefferson and Jordan Addison, Dalvin Cook, right? He Kirk Cousins has absolutely made the situation better, I think, right? We haven't seen it without him, but I think he's made it better. He can go to Atlanta, and I think the offensive line is better. The weapons aren't as good, but maybe he can get the most out of them like he did in Minnesota. But for me, 
I don't see a proven winner, right? He hasn't taken that team to the next level. So for me to say, I'm going to spend 30 plus million dollars on Kirk Cousins for this year, right? That's basically 75% of my free agency budget on one player that I'm not sure is going to get me to the next level. I have a really hard time doing that. And I think there might be some better options, but wanted to hear from you first. Do you think Kirk actually makes sense for the Falcons? If you take out the human element of this, he kind of does. The problem is when you have a new head coach, a new regime, you want to put your stamp on things. And bringing in a 35, 36-year-old quarterback, that's not a long-term solution. Coming off of an injury on top of that, that's not putting your identity or your stamp on anything, right? Unless whoever you bring in has a long-term connection with Kirk Cousins, and that's it's one of those deals. Uh, like you had uh, with the Jets with Aaron Rodgers and, and Hackett. So name, you know, nameless, faceless, just sort of shadowy figures out there on a football field, it does make sense, but it also does carry risk. Yes, Kirk Cousins has been playing the best football of his career the last couple of years. He's been phenomenal. But like you said, he hasn't gotten over the hump. And look, just because Tom Brady did it and Aaron Rodgers was doing it doesn't mean that everybody all of a sudden now is just playing quarterback at a high level until they're 40 years old and he's already going to be 36. So I don't think for this team, I mean, like you said, the offensive line, these key pieces are under 26 years old. Drake London is, I think, like 22. B. John Robinson, 21. This is a young team on offense. And while you could say, well, then you bring in a vet for someone like that, when you're in position to draft your franchise guy, you just you take your franchise guy and and you have a core as opposed to young players and then a you know the the parent in the room, the adult in the room. So it does and it doesn't, but I don't think that's the preferred course of action here. Okay. All right. So I think there are a couple other names that would be fun to throw around at the quarterback position in free agency. And I was like thinking like, how fun would it be to watch this current Falcons team with Jameis Winston, right? Like a guy that's going to just throw so many YOLO balls to Drake London and Kyle Pitts, right? He's going to trust everybody to do their job. So I was thinking about that and I'm like, Jameis would be a lot of fun. I definitely don't want him as GM, right? That's I'm just burning my career up if I go and get Jameis, but it would be fun. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of fun. Sure. If, if, uh, you know, yeah. If you're not on blood pressure medication already. Sure. Right. All right. The other guy that I realistically would, if I'm Atlanta, I would put a lot of, I would put like my team, I'd get my team together. I'd go on the road I'd visit his family. I would, uh, do the whole, the whole, uh, cat show. I would go to Baker's house and I would try to get Baker Mayfield to leave Tampa and come to Atlanta because I think Baker has proven that he is good enough to be a top performer in the NFL with the right team in the right situation. I think you look at the situation in Tampa and the situation in Atlanta and it's not that far off, right? Like I think, you know, the weapons in Tampa, probably more mature, probably a little bit better, but the offensive line in Atlanta is definitely better. And I think, you know, it probably balances out. Right. And so you think you get this quarterback that's still young, right? And maybe you give him three or four years, you give him, or, or maybe you give him two years, right? Prove it, prove two years with maybe an option third year, something like that to bring in uh, Baker. I think he is the guy that could definitely take that team over the hump and potentially just kind of like get this offense really rolling, right? And that, that could be interesting. I do in my simulation say that Baker said no and he stays in Tampa, but I do think that that would be a really good course of action for Atlanta to, to explore. We're the Baker guys. And so, yeah, I like that better than, than Kirk cousins. Yes. One-to-one pre Achilles injury for, for Kirk objectively Kirk was still playing better, but you're talking a younger quarterback that kind of fits in with a core like that, who wouldn't, who it would be his best offensive situation to date. Like you said, yes, they're a little bit more mature over there in, in Tampa, but that offensive line by the time Baker got there was not at the level it was the previous years. And he would have that luxury in Atlanta, which he didn't have uh, at any of his previous stops uh, prior to what would be 2024. So yeah, you can always sign me up for Baker Mayfield in a good offensive situation, but, but we're going to draft. We're going to, we're going to draft our guy. We're going to draft our guy, but I did have a signing one, right? So I think there is one guy that does make a lot of sense. We talked about how Kirk, Freelance. hell no, <laughs> I did. I did say that 
Kirk, I think, is in that in-between where you're going to have to spend too much money on an older quarterback that doesn't really align with my timeline, right? But what about a guy like Ryan Tannehill, who probably will only command a one-year deal, is a veteran, proven guy, can be a leader, can be a transitionary player, right? Like you don't need to, I don't think he's going to go anywhere this offseason thinking that he's going to be the quarterback for three years in any situation. So you add Ryan Tannehill, maybe for $7 million, right? I think that's what uh, PFF Brad had him projected. So thanks, Brad. And with that, you know, I say Tannehill, you're going to be my, my uh, temporary guy. You're going to step in. You're just going to try to get me back to, to league average, right? Get the quarterback play to league average while we groom the next guy. Uh, but with that, it's kind of like a crowded room. I have Desmond Ritter, I have Taylor Heineke, and now I have Ryan Tannehill. So I think I need to find a trade destination for Taylor Heineke. I do think he's good enough where a lot of teams would say, yep, I'll take him as my backup quarterback next year. So I do think you can trade him, maybe get a sixth round pick, maybe move a pick right from seventh round to sixth round just to get Taylor Heineke off your books. Uh, but that's what I'm doing. I'm signing Ryan Tannehill. I'm trading away Taylor Heineke. And then the other guy that I'm trying to sign, I'm trying to sign Darnell Mooney because I think he adds like a speed threat to that receiving room. And I like that. I think it adds a little bit of diversity. I think you can get him cheap. And then the other guy, the big splash that I'm making is Chase Young, right? Like I'm going after an edge rusher. I need to take a, a risk on one, but I'm conscious that I spent a lot of money in free agency last year. So I'm not maybe going to the top of the, the edge room in this free agency class, but I'm going to that next level. And I think Chase Young is probably going to want to take a prove it deal. Maybe he gets one year with a second year option and the second year options more money, but that one year deal, maybe 15, $20 million. And uh, yeah, if he, if he has a great year, then next year he's getting a huge payday. Right. So I think that's the kind of player I want to take a risk on, add him to my edge group. And it's kind of like fixing one problem this year, but what do you think? Are you doing anything different? I think Chase Young is going to get paid. I don't think we're going to be able to afford him. Um, if you let Ryan Tannehill in the building, you you let a little Ryan Tannehill come into the building and it just infects everything else, it's, it's not good. I'm keeping Taylor Heineke. He's a gamer. He's fun. He's like the quintessential like random game Thanksgiving weekend your quarterback is out for a game or two. He comes in there, he he balls out, wins a fun game for everybody to watch, has that post-game interview uh, with like Michelle Tafoya or something, and then and, and everybody just goes on their merry way. I, I'm, I'm keeping that instead of going out and getting Ryan Tannehill. Uh, I would love to swing big for a Chase Young, but I don't think I don't think it works in our favor. I I, I think he's gonna get paid. I don't think they're gonna let him hit the market. Wow. But yes, I really love, I got to say, yeah, yeah. But I really love the Mooney signing. I talked about how I didn't want him for the Bears. In a situation like this, I think I think that does work because of the fit. Okay. All right, cool. So we are now at the draft, right? And that's kind of what we said. This episode's a little bit different. We're going to do it a little differently. And that is because right now the Falcons have the 10th pick in the draft. And there are a lot of rumors of them targeting a guy like Jaden Daniels, right? Quarterback at LSU. When I watched his tape, first impression, right? That's what we always do. First impression. It took all of two seconds to see some kind of crazy highlights that really wow you, right? Like he is a wow player. He he has that to his game. Pretty cool. Kid is fast, right? He's super quick, but he's built like a twig. And the other thing I noticed is Malik Neighbors might be awesome. So I don't know how much I'm going to end up weighing on Jaden Daniels, how much I'm going to say is Malik Neighbors. But first impression is kid's impressive. He's, he's a good football player. What do you think? So last episode, you summed up Drake May as sort of like, hey, I think this is like the kind of guy that will be the quarterback 15 to quarterback 11 for whatever, 10 years, 12 years, right? Like he's going to be consistently outside of the top 10, but maybe around you know the, the middle uh, or you know just ahead of the halfway point of court starting quarterbacks in the NFL. That's kind of how I feel about Jaden Daniels. Uh, after watching him, I, I, that was my takeaway from him. I think a lot of people, a very popular comp, if you will, if we're just going to go straight to it, that's going around out there is how he's the closest thing to Lamar Jackson that we've seen at the position in a while because of his mobility. And when I kind of think about it, mobility wise, it's like, okay, I guess he is the closest we've seen to Lamar Jackson since then, but he's not Lamar Jackson. And I think 
at this level, only Lamar Jackson is able to do what he does against NFL players the way he does it. And if you're just close to that, that doesn't quite cut it when it comes to how people think that that level of mobility helps. You have to be Lamar Jackson mobile to really sort of reap the benefits of what he brings to the table. And since Jaden Daniels is not quite that, and that's kind of evidenced by some of the huge hits he's taken because it's it, he's just missing that last little bit of elusiveness to just keep himself from getting destroyed every now and again. But I noticed that, especially after watching Drake May, when he leaves the pocket and he enters mobility mode, it's to run. It is not to throw. He does not throw on the move like the other two quarterbacks that we've really dived into lately with with Caleb and, and Drake May. It is much more, okay, if he tucks it and he breaks the pocket, he's running. Every now and again, yes, if there's no player, he throws it. But it is not at the same level of those other two quarterbacks that are perceived to be above him in the draft right now. So I think when you, I think some people are overrating the mobility aspect to his game when they project it into the pros. I don't think it's going to be as dynamic as Lamar Jackson or as helpful unless he continues to evolve the other parts of his game that we're going to get into that are separate from just he's really athletic and, and is 6'4, 210 and can pick up first downs with his legs. It's funny you brought that up so quickly. And I, and I get the Lamar comps. I get it. But you're right. It's nowhere close, right? And it's funny because we are kids that grew up watching like NFL's greatest hits that were like our dad's VHS tapes, right? My dad used to play them on our bus rides to football games. Like it was Dick Buckus smashing people, twisting people's heads. Guys like that, Jack Ham, Jack Lambert, just mean mother effers, like doing crazy things. And you watch Lamar sometimes. And like, I love Lamar. So please don't take this the wrong way. But after like the third time you make somebody miss, you're just waiting for him to get demolished, right? Because that's what the NFL is about, right? It's like the big hits are fun. This happens to Jaden Daniels, right? Like he is the guy that like you're waiting, you're waiting. He has a whole highlight tape of him just getting destroyed. And it's fun to watch, but it's also very concerning. And it is what separates him so much from Lamar because that does not happen to Lamar. Lamar is so elusive. He is the guy that that does not happen to. So Yes, there's a big, big gap between the two. But I think even from a quarterback pocket, quarterback perspective, there's a big difference because I think their arms are very different. Jaden Daniels does not have the power that Lamar has. I think Lamar is the could be the complete pocket quarterback if he wanted to be, at least from a physical standpoint. And I think Jaden Daniels doesn't necessarily have the, the strong arm that a Lamar has. So there is a, a step down there. You saying that he's middle of the pack, I get why you would say that, but I actually see him more of a, he might end up being top 12 to 15 if he's lucky, but he could also end up being very like low in the, in the pack. And that's why like talking about him to a team like Atlanta is interesting because I, I get why you would take the risk, but I don't know how significant or how quickly you upgrade from Desmond Ritter, right? Like, I don't know if that's really going to happen, but let's, let's talk about it. Right. So from an arm perspective, I think the throwing motion, it's simple. It's smooth. There's nothing flashy about it. It's not super quick. He doesn't have that flick of the wrist thing I talked about that I really like, but he also doesn't have this long windup. It's just, it's, it's a nice throwing motion. There's nothing to brag about. There's nothing to complain about. It's smooth. It's simple. It's great. Yeah, it's it's pretty standard. It's like if you were to pop in the uh, Madden and do create a player and you can adjust or customize his throwing motion, Madden might have taken that out because that's just what they do with all the good features that they have in the game. But if you could like customize his throwing motion, you could select your different style, like Jaden Daniels would just be like default, like just default throwing motion, default stance. It's just it's just default, which is which is good. It's not it's not a bad thing at all. There's no there's no like you said wonkiness to it. It's not a long loop. There's no quirks that have to be worked out. Uh, no extra hitches or anything. It's it's just default. It's normal. It's it's perfectly fine. It is. It's perfectly fine. And, and then let's go to arm strength, right? And I already talked about that a little bit. I think it's strong enough where he's able to really do a good job in short to intermediate throws, and he's able to power it in on those intermediate throws, but it's not necessarily strong enough on the deep throws where he can consistently hit guys in stride. I saw him underthrow guys a lot, a lot, right? So struggled to leave, lead his receivers down the field. 
I think he definitely needs to add power to his deep ball. And to me, it looks like it's more of a strength issue with him where I don't know if he has the physical strength needed to get the ball down the field. And I think he has the frame that he could put on five to 10 pounds and be okay. Right. We talked about, he's not the runner that Lamar is. So at the next level, I don't know if that's really what you want to rely on because those hits in the NFL get a lot worse, right? So maybe it makes sense for him to add a little bit of weight to his frame, help him just withstand those hits, but it might also help him just kind of make some of these throws down the field and hit those deep passes. And I, I, I actually, I made, an, I made a comment that I love people commenting on these videos, so please keep them coming, but I'm going to make fun of y'all real quick because you made fun of uh, something I said about Drake May, right? And how, you know, he leads the NFL, uh, college football in like deep throws, something like that, deep throw percentage, whatever. But it's really easy for guys like Drake May and Jane Daniels to hit these deep balls when their receivers have five yards of separation on the deep balls, right? Their guys are able to just stand still and catch the ball and keep running when they're 40 yards downfield. So just a little joke that, uh, you know, I think that there are some nuances that you have to pick apart, right? And yes, you might get graded well because you hit the deep ball and the guy scored a touchdown. But if you're if you're underthrowing him where he has to stop and almost make the play a contested catch when the receiver has five yards of separation, that's a knock for me, right? Because at the next level, the DB is going to be a little bit faster and more likely to make a play on that ball. Yeah, so there's something, I, I think there's some arm strength to be unlocked there with Jaden Daniels. There was, a, there was one play in particular I noticed where he was throwing to a running back in the flat to his left. And he just, he sailed it and missed badly. And when you go back and watch, he his, his front leg just kind of locks up and was just very stiff in his lower half in the pocket. And that happens from time to time with him. I think he has to be a little more consistent with his mechanics in the lower half to unlock some of that, uh, some of that strength and trajectory on his deep ball. I think that'll help the deep ball. But like I mentioned, I'm using a, a, a pass in the flat as an example. But that type of uh, issue has shown up on occasion with his tape, and I think that's part of the inconsistent ball placement. I wrote down here: the ball placement is hit and miss. He's accurate when he's accurate, right? And if, if things are just in rhythm, he's fine. He's not an inaccurate passer. But there are instances of just poor ball placement because I notice he can just be a little stiff with his front leg uh, when just releasing the football within the pocket. And that's stuff that can be worked on and worked out. And I think that will unlock some of it. We talked about it. He's, th- that doesn't turn him into a Caleb Williams type of arm or you know Will Levis type of arm strength or anything but it can help on some of those deep passes uh, when it comes to ball placement accuracy and you know hitting your rece- receivers in stride. So there's some there. Uh, it's not all just physical, you know, brute strength or anything too. Um, when it just, when you just physically mature into just becoming a grown man in the NFL, but also just some mechanical things that he can work on to help that part of his game too. It's interesting you say that because one of the notes I made is that I thought that his footwork is a, a bit lazy like it's almost like he's so relaxed, which I like that he's relaxed. I think it makes him very smooth. Um, but it also can come off a little bit lazy where he's he's a little bit flat-footed at times. And this is something that Lamar does too, right? Like Lamar will just kind of stand there. And then because he's so quick, quick twitch, he can just pick it up real quick and then make the throw that he needs to throw or decide to run. Uh, and I, I see that here where it comes off a little lazy, but with Daniels, it does lead to some of those underthrown passes, right? And I think that's a problem that needs to be fixed. He's not Lamar, right? And I think he needs to learn that. He uh, he needs to do a little bit better there. But I'm going to get into my favorite thing about him, which was the touch of his passes, right? So really like his short and intermediate work. I, I mentioned that before, but it's really the touch that he puts on the ball. It almost looks like it's the most soft, catchable ball in the world, right? Like he throws a ball that just lands into the receiver's hands like a pillow, it, it, like I want to catch one of these passes because it looks fun. Like it legitimately looks fun. You know, it's a cold winter day in Chicago and you're uh, getting a, you know, a pigskin thrown at you and it's hard as a rock. Might not matter if Daniels has thrown it to you because he really does throw a nice lofty ball that just kind of lands really smooth into the receiver's hand. So I thought that was really cool. And it's something different. You don't see a lot of prospects with that. Yeah, you're, you're so soft, but that's, <laughs> that's, that, that's, that's right. And, um, I think I think that's a part of his game actually that can can be unlocked in the sense that right now he is 
much better against man than zone coverage that I saw on tape. Anyway, he's much quicker to diagnose against man coverage where the you know where the ball should be placed based on the concept that's being run, whether someone is picking uh, picking a defender to to open something up, uh, or if he has to move to the backside. He's very good at that in zone. He's a little slow to anticipate the windows and how that that's that's all going to develop downfield, and. Once he can do that, right, if, if if that part of his game evolves in the NFL when he gets more mature and experienced and the game kind of slows down for him, that's when a lot of that really comes into play, that, that, that sort of catchable and those touch passes because you do have to lay it over a linebacker in front of a safety in stride for your receiver. You have to have, like you said, that touch to, to do that. And he has that touch and that ability um, with, with his arm just throwing the football. So if he becomes more adept, at diagnosing zones quicker and anticipating those throwing windows, then yeah, it's then that's when you kind of have that synergy between the mental part of his game and the physical. And that's when things can really develop and blossom for him, but he's not there yet when it comes at, like I said, against zone, when it comes to anticipating those windows, he's still a tick slow in, in doing that, which we've talked about is, is relatively normal, Right. Uh, just because Caleb Williams is, is lightning with it doesn't mean that if you're not, that you're, you're just going to be a bust, but it's a part of his game that has to evolve. It's a typical young quarterback problem. Um, I would like to see it a bit better in college, just truth be told, but it's not something that I think is as we sit here right now, that can't be fixed because I always harp on this part, the pocket presence, you kind of touched on it a bit too, about how relaxed he is. He, he stands in there and takes hits and will throw the ball despite taking it. We talked about with Drake May how there were a couple times on film where it looked like he could have stood in the pocket a tick longer and thrown the ball and he would have taken a hit, but he had a completion available to him and did not take it. Jaden Daniels will stand in there with the defender in his face, throw the ball and take a hit square in the chest. And, and I mean, we talk about this guy takes big hits all the time, but it's not just when he's scrambling. It's when he's in the pocket too. He will stand in the face of pressure. So that to me shows that lack of panic, if you will, or the game being so fast that he's just kind of scrambling, not in the sense of picking up yards with his legs, but in the sense of not being able to process things. He can, he can process and feel. So that feel for the game is there. It just has to be developed. Yes. And the only reason that I'm a little concerned, right? Like you're mentioning that's something that you can fix at the NFL level. And I agree, but this is a five-year starter, right? And we're going to get into the numbers in a little bit, but this is a five-year starter. And I talk about how I like that a lot in my prospects, right? I like a guy that stays in school because he can a lot of times get those kinks out before he gets to the NFL. But if you are in year five and you're still showing me a lot of those kinks, little bit worrisome. So I agree with everything you said. I want to talk about the the speed scramble ability because, you know, I talked about how he's not Lamar, but he is very, very talented, right? Like he is an extremely talented runner. Um, and, you know, last year we had Anthony Richardson. I think Richardson was more of this, like he, he just had the intangibles, but I don't necessarily think Richardson was a great runner yet. I do think Daniels is a great runner, right? Like he has the 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 skills currently to be good in the NFL with his legs he can be very good um he likes to run right like he likes to move he likes to pull the trigger and just and just break out and there were times where i asked myself does he do it too soon but i think when you have a weapon that that that's that good especially at the college level it makes sense to use it right so like i don't necessarily knock him about that uh he is smooth and slippery um but yeah he definitely needs to just have the awareness not to take the hits he needs to learn how to slide he is very skinny. So I do worry that in the, at the NFL level, these big hits are just going to weigh on you a little bit more and could cause some serious damage. So like him as a runner, but needs to protect himself. Yeah. I mean, we saw with Anthony Richardson, right? He was built like a tank and his rookie season was cut short because he, he, he didn't get that, right? He, that was a lesson he had to learn uh, in the NFL that you can't just take those hits like you do in college. It's, it's different. Sorry, a, a, a linebacker for the Browns, is a lot different than a linebacker for Florida state even. So uh, you cannot hurdle in traffic in the NFL. So yes, um, that's, that's something he's going to have to to learn as well. And so I think what's interesting is it's, it's, he's the type of player to me that 
is landing spot dependent? I think if he goes to a good organization, and we kind of talked about how the Falcons as a whole, I think the Falcons as an organization are, are fine. Um, and we talk about how we like their situation, given the line, given that the, the, the sort of bedrock talents they have at receiver, tight end, and running back at the skill positions. I think that's a good landing spot. I think the type of player that he is, he is with some of the flaws or weaknesses in his game that need to be improved coming into the league. If he goes to a place like a Washington, I'm nervous or, you know, I, 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 I think he has to be in a situation where he's going to get some protection. He's going to have some big targets to throw too early on and a running game to lean on so that the other elements of his game can evolve. I think if a lot is put on his plate and he's in kind of a, you know, mix match situation that maybe has, you know, a good player here and a good player there on offense, but nothing really solid like a team like the Falcons has that we're talking about today, that would, that would be worrisome um, because his flaws are the type of flaws that can doom a prospect if they are not in a good situation. And we've seen that in the past. For sure. Uh, I I don't know if there are a lot of situations that I like that I like, right? <laughs> no, like if, it's if a minefield. Yeah, like if you're if you're taking a quarterback early, it's gonna be rough. And the Falcons are one of those unicorn situations that work for a lot of these prospects. Let's jump into the numbers, right? I mentioned he's a five-year starter, he's 23 years old already, just turned 23 though. So he will play next season at 23. Um and, you know, he's really been a, you know, a phenomena in, in that like five-year starters are rare, right? Like that doesn't happen every day. So, you know, something I really like 29 big time throws this year is good for fourth and fifth fewest turnover worthy plays with seven. So those numbers are great. But the other phenomena that he has is that he has literally progressively gotten better every single year. He's not a guy that was good right, right away. He, he took time. His first three years were at Arizona state it wasn't great. He depended on his legs a lot. And then he comes to LSU in the last two years have been better, but he's gotten better in every year that he's been in the, uh, in college, 11.5 yards per attempt is first overall and 40 touchdowns is tied for first. So really good numbers there. His average depth of target is 10 and 10 and a half yards, which is plenty good enough. Uh, we talked about this with Caleb Williams, his sack to pressure rate is too high. Uh, Jaden Daniels is as well. 20.2 way too high, but 2.91 time to throw is very solid. We'll take that. And then the 1,200 y rushing yards this season and 10 rushing touchdown touchdowns on top of what he did with his arm. He had 300, 3,800 passing yards and 28 or 40 touchdowns. Like that's incredible production from your quarterback. My biggest concern on the numbers, again, only two good years and really only one very good year. So the, the five-year starter you're getting really only has had one year of top production and he was 23 years old, 22 years old. So definitely a little concerning there. The person, I know nothing about this kid as a person. You don't, I haven't really heard much about him. I don't know if you have. So if you have anything to add to the numbers, the person, let me hear what you have. Yeah. I don't have many contacts in the Southwestern United States uh, or the Bayou where he is now, but uh, you mentioned improving every year. And I'll take that a step further. Cause I wrote down, even some in-game improvements I saw when he played Alabama, there was a play early on where uh, he was he was reading uh, one side of the field uh, and and there was a backside dig that should have come open or did come open rather that based on the coverage he should have the, the the play should have taken him there and he did not. He went through his first read, it wasn't there, kind of hitched and then kind of broke out of the pocket and I think it was an incomplete pass or something, but he missed a backside dig against Alabama uh, for first down. And then, and I saw that and I was like, okay, there's some of that processing again. He was too slow to process on the front end. So then he didn't, or he felt like he didn't have enough time to go backside and make a throw that was otherwise there because of the lack of quick processing. But then later on that same game, I think two quarters later in the third quarter, very similar situation. Uh, twins to his left, locked up. The, the The concept doesn't work. He kind of takes a step back in the pocket to buy himself some more time, moves to the backside, and hits that dig route over the middle for a chunk play and a first down. So, and I so from game to game, he kind of evolved. And you kind of saw that in Alabama just as a whole. He kind of got better as the game went on. So I real that was encouraging to me. I like to see that that even just 
within games he gets that feel and kind of improves, which is not always the case with quarterbacks. And that's and that's a pretty good sign too. And it's it is a sign of maturity. So you would think, expect, hope that that would also translate in the NFL. Uh, you know, again, as a rookie, probably is everything your head is spinning with with every, every with every game. But uh, that is something that he showed that stands out to me is that in game improvement that's not always there from from other prospects, but was there with him. Yeah, and that shows the level of intelligence that he has, and it, it's something that you know you kind of start to expect from a 22 year old quarterback. So, uh, very interesting there. So I think it's time, right? We are on the clock as the Atlanta Falcons at pick 10. With what we said, are you taking Jaden Daniels? Yeah, but the clock ran out 15 minutes ago. We've been talking about it for too long. Um, but yes, I, I think at 10, you're the Falcons. It's an easy fit here. Uh, yes, you need an edge player. Um, Chop Robinson in this simulation was still on the board, but. We went ahead, get your quarterback, Jaden Daniels. You got the weapons for him. You got the line for him. It's a good situation. You're indoors. It's it's very conducive for a young quarterback. So now you just, you got to make it work. There's tools there. There's work to be done, but that's what you get paid big bucks for. So yeah, we're taking Jaden Daniels 10th overall. So here's my kind of thought dilemma. And I, I want to know your opinion, right? So in a draft like the Justin Fields draft, right? Justin Fields, I think went, 10 or 11 overall. And there were a lot of elite players that went before him and a couple that even went after him. Right. And um, in that situation, Justin Fields falling to 10, 11 makes sense to take him there. I personally don't think that Jaden Daniels is as good of his prospect as Justin Fields. And I know that's kind of crazy to say, because Fields hasn't really done that great in the NFL. Mm. But mm -hmm. I think just from a pure prospect, I don't think the Chicago situation was good for Fields off the bat. I think it's gotten better, but it's been rough, right? So I think that that has to play into it. But Jaden Daniels, just from a pure prospect perspective, I don't know if I have him as highly rated. And in a draft where I think there are probably six blue chip players and then a, there's a big drop off after those blue chip players in this draft. Like what I've seen so far, again, I haven't watched everyone, but to me, it seems like there really aren't any top defensive players there really aren't that many top interior offensive linemen that i want to talk about there aren't any top running backs right there are some very good receivers there are some very good tackles but this is a team that i don't think they're going to take a receiver before they take a quarterback right it doesn't really make sense for them even though they have a need there i don't think this is a team that drafts a tackle because that's not a need there and if I'm there at 10 and I'm saying, all right, Jaden Daniels is a fit for me, but do I really value him that high that I want to take him at 10 where I think that in another draft, right, maybe he's like a top 20 player. Maybe I take him late teens and that's like a better place for him. Do I feel confident then just taking him at 10 because that's where my pick is and that's where I think that this draft has the value? The problem is the Raiders are right behind you at 12. So if this could be an FAFO situation. You can't really thread the needle when it comes to value. Um, so if you like them, you just got to take them. Because I mean, they, they might, you might have to, they might try to jump in front of you to, to take a quarterback for all we know. Um, but we talked about it before but in, in the other simulation, they took, they traded for Justin Fields. But in general, you have the Raiders lurking behind you, and that's something you have to look out for. So I don't think there's any trade-back scenario that makes sense, even though you might optimally want to do something like that. Um, there are some prospects that just, in my opinion, if if all things are equal, you take away position value are better, right? Uh, in this simulation here, you have Chop Robinson uh, on the board at Edge, I mentioned, Kool-Aid McKinstry, Dallas Turner, uh, as well. I, I like all three of those guys uh, better uh, just as pure prospects if you're just taking away sort of the quarterback label. But again, you can't really do that <laughs> when you need a quarterback. So I think it's one of those situations where if you like him and you think you can win with him, you just have to pull the trigger. Yes, he's probably not the 10th best prospect on your board or one of the 10 best prospects on the board, but he's a first round player and he's a quarterback. So you gotta you got to take it. Okay. And I'm, I'm not opposed to it. And I realize now I'm PS2 Chris again, because we hit the 53 minute mark and that's what happens. But oh no, um, he, so to me, it's, it's again, like I'm happy taking him here. I think that he is a good, a good fit into the system. Uh, you get the new head coach, you get the new quarterback. It makes sense. 
I also see this alternate universe where I say, if another team wants to trade up to this pick, I would love to trade back, right? Because I haven't watched Michael Penix yet, but I think that there could be potentially a fit there, right? And he might be a guy that's available a little bit later. There might be a fit if Shador Sanders decides to enter the draft, which it sounds like he's not. But um, if he was to, to enter the draft, like that could be a fit, right? So I think there are these other players that might be available later that I'm saying, is Jaden Daniels that much uh, more of a sure thing? Is he that much better than? I don't know yet. I'll, I'll watch Michael Penix and I'll let you know. But if a team wants to trade up, maybe I move back to 17, 18, and I get the edge rusher that you're talking about, a Chop Robinson, um, one of those guys later in those in the late teens, if I can get one of these good edge rushers, I kind of like doing that and then adding picks to next year's draft, right? So right now I'm not in a position to get one of the top quarterbacks and that's unfortunate, right? But next year, maybe I will be if I kind of position myself well and I will get additional picks to help me do that. And, and I know that's kind of been a common thread, like I've been saying, even with like the Patriots is to do that. But if I'm not in love with a quarterback, I do not like just just putting it, you know, like forcing a fit. I do think there's a fit here. So in my situation, I am also drafting him. I just like to talk about the different things that I'm thinking about. But yes, I think a pick 10, Jaden Daniels is the pick um, for all the reasons you said, right? He's a, he's a good fit into this system. It's a run heavy offense. He will add di di dynamicism, dynamicism to that, which I like. And then, you know, hopefully he brings out more of what Kyle Pitts can do, more of what Drake London can do, and even Bijan, right? So I like that. I'm, I'm doing it too. All right. So pick is in. Uh, Jaden Daniels, we, we got him. Um, I agree. It's not a no-brainer when it comes to quarterback, but I think the fit's there, and I can't say – I'm not sure if I can say, rather, my my, my take on uh, Shadur Sanders yet, if especially with Atlanta fans, um, given given Dion's history there. So we're just going to move past that. Uh, we got Jaden Daniels. That's our quarterback. Got him in the first round. Great. Moving on. Second round. Uh, you want to go? You want me to, to, to make some picks here? I've been talking too much. I want you to go. So my initial mock refreshed and I had to start the whole thing over, which is awful. But uh, in the second round, uh, we took uh, Chris Braswell, the edge rusher out of Alabama. And uh, again, just we talk about, you know, the need at edge on defense. We have receivers, we have running backs, we have offensive line around our quarterback already that we just drafted. So do need to take care of the defensive side of the ball here. And Chris Bradwell, to me, is the best player on the board and uh, at round two, pick 10. So go ahead and take him. Senior from Alabama, uh, having having a great year, 13 sacks, 31 hurries. Um, just pretty much what you, what you expect to get from a veteran edge rusher out of Alabama. Great pass rusher, fine run defense, can set the edge pretty well. Uh, decent run stop rate as well. Very high pass rush win rate at 18.5%, which is very good uh, with high grading against true pass sets, as, pass sets as well. So I think it's an easy no-brainer pick here to uh, help our pass rush and take Chris Braswell in the second round. Okay. I did something very similar, a little bit different of a name. And I only really like taking edge rushers in the second round if one, my system will get the most out of them like Baltimore, right? Baltimore could take as many second round edge rushers and turn them into superstars as they want. But I think a lot of other organizations, it's not always as simple as that, right? You need your stud and edge is a position where you, you kind of know what these prospects are going to be, right? Like it's easy to watch them and look at the numbers and see who's going to be successful. So if they're in the second round, they're probably in the second round for a reason, right? So they're not these stud guys. And in my world, I got Chase Young. I know you didn't, but I have Chase Young. So I don't mind getting a secondary type edge. And in my world, I got Jonah Ellis, who's got the family kind of NFL ties uh, out of Utah. Uh, I like him, you know, just plug him into that, that opposite role out of uh, then Chase Young, right? Chase Young is this big bodied guy, can put his hand in the dirt, can stand up. Jonah Ellis, a little bit of a smaller body, probably want him standing up, but uh, yeah, uh, he's a workhorse, right? Like, and that's something I want, right? I want that on my defense. So yeah, Jonah Ellis, we were doing similar things, but yeah, different results. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. So third round, we're going to close out uh, Saturday night. There it is. Christmas Carol, top of the hour. Um, we're going to go ahead and take uh, wide receiver out of Michigan, Roman Wilson. 
And that's because, again, you, you signed Darnell Mooney, so you might go a different route here. Um, but I, I really like uh, Roman Wilson here in the third, not the most dynamic um, weapon receiver, athlete, whatever you want to call it. Not a game breaker, but that's not what we need. We need a nice secondary option who's dependable, uh, can make some plays, has good hands. Uh, I really like Roman Wilson here at this spot. And again, just kind of just rounding out that receiving core and those weapons for our young quarterback. So these guys can really all grow together. So I'm going ahead and taking Roman Wilson, uh, round three, pick 10. And, um, yeah, that, that concludes my first two days of the draft. I like that a lot. And I would probably do something very similar, right? So I think that that's a fine approach. Go get the receiver. I don't think Darnell Mooney is ever going to stop me adding to a receiver room, especially because I signed him on a one-year deal. So I want to get some longevity there with my quarterback. And I love adding young receivers for young quarterbacks. But I went a little bit of a different way. And I'm usually very opposed to trading up. But in this situation, I liked Chris Jenkins' defensive interior out of Michigan. So I traded oh. back into the second round. And I traded my third round pick. I traded a fourth round pick to move into the second round and get Chris Jenkins so that I get some some youth to that defensive front, right? I now have Chase Young, Chris Jenkins, Jonah Ellis, and uh, Ebiketti that I like the the youth movement that I'm adding to this defensive uh, interior. We can't work together, Chris. We can't work together. So both Michigan guys, by the way, but... um... I think there's a lot of good defensive interiors. I don't know if we would trade up for one there, especially Chris Jenkins, but we'll get into that in a different episode for defensive interior. Uh, the one thing I think both of us come out of this with is we still need, we still need another corner. I think that's the one position that has yet to be addressed. And again, we're drafting a, a franchise quarterback. It's year one. You're not going to fix all of your holes in one year when you need a franchise guy. And that's going to be your primary focus. So just throwing that out there, probably Falcons fans listening going, okay, we need cornerbacks. Yes, we understand you need cornerbacks. Board just didn't fall the way you, you kind of wanted it to. So we have AJ uh, Terrell, we have Clark Phillips, and we have Mike Hughes at trio, unless we make another move in free agency or something. And I'm sure we're drafting a young guy on day three, but um, I think based on both of our mocks and, and kind of how we went through the off season here, that's the one position we didn't really uh, hit on and, and really turn the room around. I did. And you missed it. I did. We added pass yeah, rushers. I probably didn't miss it. We added oh. pass rushers and that helps the defensive backs. AJ Terrell has been okay. a very up and down player, right? He had one of the highest graded seasons we've seen at corner a few years ago. And I think that that's the player that he is, but without the pass rush, you're not getting the most out of that group, right? So you need to add the pass rush to help out those DBs. I think you have some decent names in that room, right? You mentioned the three guys that I think with a little bit of help can be serviceable, right? You have Jesse Bates behind him. Like this is a serviceable DB group. That's not my concern. I, I agree that it would be ideal to add guys there, but I also think that that's why taking Jaden Daniels is a risk, right? Like, and you have to think about the timeline of you're adding Jaden Daniels and you have some other holes to fill like wide receiver two, you have a cornerback needed cornerback two. You don't necessarily have the edge rusher unless you're doing my plan and getting chase young. So with that, does it make sense to add the quarterback when in two years you have to pay Drake London, you have to pay Kyle Pitts? Like there's going to be kind of some expensive players added to your books when you've already paid your offensive line, you've already paid your defensive backs group. There's only so many guys you can hand out contracts to, right? So you really need to be confident that that quarterback is going to be the hit. And I think, unfortunately, Atlanta's in a situation where you're kind of pigeonholed into doing this and hoping for the best. Right. And if not, you're losing your job and not every, not every GM is going to make it work. Right. Some, some of us are going to lose our jobs. And this is a situation where you, you kind of have to take that swing of putting your job on the line and seeing what happens. The, the other alternative to that, I think you're right. It's, it's, it's a bit of a box in situation to, to take that quarterback at 10. Um, the other alternative of course, is if you do take, say you go total BPA, you're not, completely sold on someone like Jaden Daniels. What's going to end up happening though, is you're going to win six games, seven games. You're going to have to trade multiple future first rounders to get that next quarterback, whether it's in the next draft or the draft after, because you're going to be around 
pick 13, pick 14, pick 10 again. And that's, that's usually out of the range of those no brainer franchise guys. So it's a path to take. If you want to go ahead and take a chop Robinson to, to all of a sudden completely turn around the pass rush uh, of, of your entire defense, which, which, would make a big difference or a Kool-Aid McKinstry or something at, at, at corner. But then down the line, I think you're going to have to be looking at trading some future assets to get that quarterback, which you may be okay with doing because you might look at it and go, we're going to pay Drake London. We're going to have a quarterback on a rookie deal at that point. So we're going to pay to keep our guys and our best positions of strength are not only just good on the field, but they're also young and they're at positions that last a while, right? So we talked about the offensive line hovering around that 25, 26 ish range and under those guys can play into the early thirties, right? Whereas receiver maybe a bit of a shorter shelf life, but those guys are at Drake London's 22 years old. Bijan Robinson's 21. So you can sort of look at that and say, okay, we can keep our guys and we won't, we can weather the storm. We don't have to add premium picks to this side of the ball if we do make moves to then get the franchise quarterback say in 2025 or so so let's go ahead and make those premium defensive selections now with the plan to go ahead and make that move for the franchise guy next year and then hold on to our offensive guys so we basically you know fill up uh or, or fill out both sides of the ball before plopping in the quarterback and then just keeping our own that is another option that that is that is viable if you play it right, um, but again, it's it is tough because you're probably looking at giving up three first round picks for your next quarterback. It's and and then you really have to hit at that point. I think there's a world where I would be okay with this team trading up for Drake May. Right? I talked about I talked a lot about Drake May not fitting with the Patriots because they have so many holes. Atlanta doesn't. Right? They have some holes like edge rusher and maybe cornerback two and receiver two. But if you were to add a guy like Drake May, I think that situation could make a lot of sense for him. I just think you'd have to give way too much to go from 10 to 2, which is why I didn't do it in this situation. But if Atlanta keeps losing games and they come down to like 7 or 6, I think that's a very realistic possibility. But unfortunately, that is all the time I have for today. So everybody, thank you for tuning in. If you haven't yet, please give us a follow on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at all22 underscore PFF and leave us a review wherever you watch or listen to your podcasts. And thanks for tuning in. Have a great holiday. Good, Good luck in the conference finals. I'm a ghost.